So let's give our attention to God's perfect word. Uh, Esther 8.1. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And, and Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agagite and the plot he had devised against the Jews. When the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king, and she said, If it please the king, and if I found favor in his sight, if the thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the providences of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming on my, to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and I have hanged him on the gallows, because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's signet, the king's ring. For an enoch written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, We thank you that we get to some exciting parts in this book. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help me as I preach, carry me by your Holy Spirit to explain it well. And I pray for their hearts that they would receive your word and that it would make sense to them and be planted in their hearts and bear fruit in their lives. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to uh, tell you a hypothetical situation. This is just hypothetical. But any of you men, I want you to imagine you're a father. Okay, can you imagine that? Uh, you're a father, and, uh, but you don't receive the respect you think you deserve from your spouse or your wife or your kids. Just hypothetical. Can you imagine that with me? All right, so you're imagining that. How do you want to respond? How do you, what, what's going on inside of you? How are you tempted to respond when you don't feel like you're getting the respect? Okay, so ladies, you're on off the hook. Ladies, I want you to, a hypothetical situation. You don't feel like you're getting the respect you deserve from your husband or your children. How are you tempted to respond? You don't have to answer that. And incriminate yourselves, any of you. But I just want you to think about that. So the theme verse of this whole sermon, it'll be in the end, but I'll tell you now where we're going. It's 1 Peter 5, 6. It says, humble yourself under under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time or he may exalt you in due time. That is not what you were thinking, right? That is not your natural response. We do not naturally humble ourselves and wait for God. We say, I'm going to put my fist down. You will respect me. That's true for men and women. Right? Isn't that our natural response? Mordecai is a great example of how we're supposed to behave. Right? So Mordecai, what does he do? He humbles himself. He's humbled himself chapter after chapter. And now we're finally getting to the exalting part. This is the exciting part. Okay, so that's where we're going. Um, If you look on the screen, it didn't make it in the bulletin. um, But you'll see the outline for today. Um, So here's where we're going. The title is The Gospel According to Esther. First, an advocate for God's people. Secondly, Oh, I forgot something. Before we read it, we didn't even hand out Bibles. I'm sorry for any of you. If you need a pen, um, we have pens for you. I neglected that. 
I'm there getting him. Raise your hand. So it's not in your bulletin. If you want to write it down, you got to write it down. But if you don't have a writing utensil, um, raise your hand. And we've got um, Bibles and pens. Um, that would happy. Okay, we need one up there. Anyone else that needs pens? Um, here's the outline. So advocate for God's people, deliverance for God's people, and ex- exaltation for God's people. Okay, so that, that's where we're going. We'll begin with that first one. An advocate for God's people. We'll come back to verse 1 and 2. Skip those. Look with me at verse 3. The text is also printed in your bulletin. So you can follow along there. Look at verse 3 again. It says, When Esther spoke again to the king, how does she behave? She fell at his feet. She wept and she pleaded with him. Now I thought you weren't supposed to be sad in front of a king. If you were here a long time ago, remember Mordecai couldn't even come into the, the castle in sackcloth and ashes. Decorum is you don't go before the king begging and crying. You're going to lose your head if you do that. Well, she has left all the decorum aside, and she's just begging her her husband. Please have mercy. Avert this plan. Can't you make it go away? Look at verse 4. Then the king held out his golden scepter. That's really important. The other option is an axe. And so he holds that golden scepter, and she rises and speaks. Look at verse 5. She's going to say four things there. Kids, see if you can find the four things. All right, you can use your fingers. If it pleased the king, that's one. So she's saying to him, if it pleases you, focus on the king. And then back on her. Secondly, if I found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king, and I am, please, and I am pleasing in his eyes. Right? So she's going back and forth, focus on him and her. Let an order. How many kids? Show me your fingers. How many was that? Uh, I don't see any. It was four. <laughs> four things. All right, so she says four things, and she says, let an order. If I found favor for you, if all these things, let letters be devised the, to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the Agagite. He wrote to destroy the Jews. And so she's like saying, just make it all go away. Well, there's a problem. You can't make, so the laws of the Medes and the Persians couldn't be revoked. So he can't just make it all go away. All right, so look at verse six. For how can I bear, this is Esther again, how can I bear to see the calamity that's coming to my people? She wants, she's looking for sympathy, right? She's saying, look, your queen is crushed. Do you really want me to be this way? My people are about to be annihilated. I can't bear this. Then look, verse seven, how's he going to respond? That actually takes us to our second point. We're already at point two. Deliverance for the people of God. Look what he says. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. It's as if to say, Come on, honey. I already killed the guy and I gave you all his stuff. What else do you want? But he goes on. He says in verse 8, But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews. In the name of the king, okay, we skip verse 1 and 2, we'll come back. But in it, we saw that he gave the signet ring to who? Mordecai. Haman used to have it. Now Mordecai has it. Okay, so then, so you can say, hey, write down whatever you want. Sign my name to it. It's fine. Right? You see that in verse 8? Seal it with the king's ring for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. Now, come on. This king is crazy. If you've been with us a while, if you haven't, you'll start to see it. All right, did he not learn anything from the last episode? Right? With Haman. King, you probably should proofread what your name is signed to. That's how we got in this mess the first place, right? Because Haman had his signet ring. He said, hey, do you mind if I go like annihilate a whole race? He's like, sure, whatever, go ahead, right? 
That's how we got into this. And now, now what is he saying? Yeah, you guys just, you figure it out and just sign my name to it. It's fine. Oh, King Ashwaris, right? You, so one rule of thumb is if you're, an, if you're ever an emperor, pay attention. There's your application for today. Pay attention to what's going on in your kingdom. He is not doing that. Okay, so now Mordecai has this challenge. How is he going to revoke the irrevocable? How's he going to reverse the irreversible? You see the problem? All right, look at verse 9. The king's scribes were summoned at that time. In the third month, which is the month of Savan. Okay, so we're two months since the first one was written. On the 23rd day, an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews, to the satraps, the governors, and the officials, to the providences from India to Ethiopia. And if you know geography, that is a lot of distance. You know where India is? You know where Ethiopia is? Kids, Ethiopia's in Africa. India's way over in Asia. There's a long distance, okay? 127 provinces to each province in its own script and to each people in its own language. A lot of languages. And also, who else? To the Jews. Well, they really need to know this because they're the ones who ought to be annihilated. They're especially interested in this. To the Jews in their script and language. Okay, what did he write? Moment of truth. What's he come up with? And he wrote in the name of King Ashuerus and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Then he set the, letter, the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud. Translation, fast racehorses. Kids, you ever seen a really fast horse? These horses were faster than that. These guys are really fast. They got a lot of distance to cover, right? You're riding on horseback from wherever they are, from Persia, all the way to India and Ethiopia. They got a lot of ground to cover. But he, we still haven't found out. But Mordecai, what's, the, what's your solution? Verse 11, saying that the, king allowed, that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate. Does that sound familiar? That's the exact same language that Haman said about the Jews. And so he's saying the same thing. All right, let's, let's keep reading. I'll explain it. Uh, to destroy, to kill, to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. On one day throughout all the provinces of King Ashuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month. That was the exact same day that Haman had said that other edict, when they were to be annihilated, which is the month of Adar. Okay, so what he's saying is, the first one said, everyone can kill the Jews. Okay, and then this one says, anyone who attacks the Jews, the Jews can kill them. Make sense? That's pretty ingenious, huh, Mordecai? Because he can't reverse the first one, but he said, and so everyone, if the king says, hey, these guys can all defend themselves, then it's saying that the king is in support of the Jews. Right, and so it, it makes them fear for their lives. I will look on. A copy of what was written was issued as a decree in every province, being publicly displayed to all peoples, and the Jews were to be ready for that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So the couriers mounted on their swift horses that were used in the king's service rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Susa, the capital. This is where all of them are. Right there in the capital. <clears throat> this is great. Skip down to verse 17. Look at this. The very end. The second half, the last line says this. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews. That's funny. 
for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. Hey, I'm not an enemy of the Jews. I'm a Jew. Here's my yarmulke. I'm a Jew. Right? They're scared now. And so now everyone's claiming to be a Jew. That's pretty funny. Right? So they've gone from they're said to be killed to now everyone else wants to be them. We see this in other, other places in Scripture where the fear of the Jews falls on others. When people realize that their big brother, the person defending them is God, the guy who created the universe, everyone gets scared. It happened in Egypt. Right? When, when God crushed Egypt with all those plagues, they feared. And when, they, when the Jews left, they said, hey, take anything you want. They plundered all their neighbors as they left. It's wild. This is the God you serve. So finally, they can have a big sigh of relief. Right? They had this big death sentence over them, and they finally, they finally can have some peace. So finally, we have, secondly, deliverance for God's people. Praise God. That was a long time coming. All right, so third, exaltation. Let's jump back, jump back to verse 1 and 2. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 says this, On that day, King Ashuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, Okay, pause. So standard procedure, if you're a traitor, you get caught, you get executed, all your assets go to the state. It's just standard procedure in this time. So Haman's executed, and so all his assets go to the state. The king gives them to Esther, kind of repayment. Hey, he was going to kill you. Here's all his stuff. Okay. Pretty cool. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told him what she was to him. So all this time, she'd been a secret Jew, right? She'd lived five years in the king's house, no one knew she was a Jew. No one knew that she happened to be related to Mordecai. She said, this is actually the guy that kind of adopted me. He's like my adopted father. Oh, wow. The king's, king's excited about that. What does he do? Verse 2. And the king took off his signet ring, and they'd taken from Haman, and he gave it to Mordecai. This is pretty cool. So now he's the second in command. He has unbelievable power. No more sackcloth and ashes for him. Gave it to Mordecai, and Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. So she said, I, I'm, in the, I'm in the palace. I don't need anything. Here, you take all of Haman's stuff. Wow, what a reversal. This is so, if you haven't here, let me catch you up to speed. So this is less than 24 hours before this. Let me tell you what happened. Haman got so angry that he said, you know what? I'm going to, it was his wife's idea. Go and get and ask for Haman's head. Ask to execute, I'm sorry, Mordecai. Okay, so Haman is going to execute Mordecai. Almost certainly the king's going to say yes, because he already said yes to annihilating a whole race. Of course, he's going to let him knock off one guy. Okay, that's less than 24 hours. King has bad night's sleep. Next morning, the king says, hey, Haman, how should I honor a guy I want to honor? Because he didn't tell him that it happened to be Mordecai. So then Mordecai ends up having to walk. Um, Mor Haman has to walk Mordecai through the streets, honoring him like a king. Right? And so then, this is all happening in 24 hours. Second feast, Haman is found to be the evil guy. He gets executed, and then Mordecai is exalted. In 24 hours, he goes from about to be executed to now being the second most powerful man in the nation, having all of that guy's stuff. That guy is dead. It's crazy. I mean, you could not have a more extreme reversal. I mean, just imagine for a moment if you were him. If you were Mordecai, I don't know if you've ever been in a tight spot and God came through for you. This is like tenfold of that, right? And you're like, oh, you have a sigh of relief, but then you also have this unbelievable exaltation. This week I was reading Psalm 30. I was also reading it this morning as well. 
it says this in verse 11. You've turned for me my mourning into dancing. This is true of Mordecai. You've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Brothers and sisters, your God is so amazing. Now I know it's hard to, to feel that because you are Mordecai. But what if you were? Now movies do this well. Like if I was Hollywood, I could show you a cinematic version of all this. Right? And before it's over, you're, you're, you're dancing. Right? You're like, this is so cool. Look, take that, Haman. And so you have the Holy Spirit's got to work in you right this morning for you to realize this is really cool that this guy went from about to be executed to now he's being so honored and exalted. You know, Ephesians 3.20 says, God can do abundantly beyond all we ask or think. Do you pray like this? Like normally we just pray like, God, I've got a problem. Fix my problem. Like God took it so much further, didn't he? Like he didn't just fix the problem. He now exalted him unbelievably. I mean, Mordecai never dreamed of being the second in command in Persia. We actually pray like this. Luke 1 says, for nothing will be impossible for God. Many of you adults have IRA accounts, don't you? 401ks, right? Have you ever sat with a financial advisor? This is a standard advice I've heard. You've probably heard. They say, don't look at it, especially if you're young, right? If, if you're our age, 20s, 30s, 40s, they say, don't look at it. They say, you're just going to drive yourself crazy, right? Why? Because every day it's going like this, right? Yeah, I just made a bunch of money. I lost a bunch of money, right? They say over 30 years, compound interest will go like this, but you're going to make money. You're going to have a retirement, but you can't look at it every day. Is that, am I right? Nod your head. Then right. Okay. Good. Make sure you're awake. Okay. That's what your financial advisor says. The Christian life is like that. The Christian life is like that. Let me explain. It is very volatile, right? It looks like God failed me. No, God blessed me. Nope. God failed me. God failed me. Right. But over time, if you zoom out, you see that God is faithful. We've seen that in this book, right? There've been ups and downs. Looked like all hope was lost a few chapters ago. And now, hey, wow, this is great. We have this huge reversal. That is the Christian life. It is not just a, a walk through the park and everything is great. There are ups and downs, but over time, through a lifetime, you will find God to be faithful. That God will come through for you. If you were here last week, we talked about data points. Kids, you remember that? From plotting lines where you have to put all these data points and then you find a line that's between all of them. Young kids will do this when you get older. This is true of the Christian life. If you get enough data points, you realize, oh, God is faithful. This should be a data point. Mordecai should be on your map to say, look, God was faithful in Persia 2,500 years ago to the Jews. This is, a, if you were, for the Jews, this is still a big deal. They have a holiday. They still celebrate. Holiday of Pur or Pura. Because of this, because of this very event, because this was huge. The whole nation was going to be annihilated. This is going to be worse than the Holocaust. They're all going to be killed, but God delivered them. And so I encourage you to zoom out. See, the Bible tells you to trust God, doesn't it? Lots of places. But there, in addition to that, there are hundreds of stories like this. One of the reasons you should read your Bible is because it gives you data points. In addition to your own life, you get to hear the stories of David and Solomon and this guy, Mordecai. God was faithful over and over again. You see that God's faithfulness, it encourages you. So when you're having at this moment, you say, no, I know God's going to take care of me. And as I go through my life, just like my IRA, most IRAs, this isn't financial counsel, but I can speak well with my greater certainty about God than I can the stock market. 
And many of you invest a lot of money in it. God will never fail his people. God will never fail his people. And we see this over and over. Look how the Jews respond in verse 16 and 17. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. I bet they did. And in every province, in every city, wherever the king's command is edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many of the peoples, I read that part already, in every country declared themselves Jews for the fear of Jews had fallen on them. Yeah, you better believe they're celebrating. They were about to be executed, and now they aren't. There is such, there's such great reason for them to celebrate. But I want you to look back at this outline. We've looked at the story of Mordecai. Is there, see, verse chapter 6, when he was walked through the streets, that was foreshadowing this chapter, right? Now he really has been exalted. That was foreshadowing. This chapter foreshadows something greater. Look at that outline. And can you think of any other time in scripture when this happened? Where there's an advocate for God's people. There's deliverance for God's people. And there's exaltation for God's people. If anyone was thinking of Jesus, you're right. It's Jesus. You remember Esther in this chapter went before the king. And she begged, she pleaded for the life of her people. Jesus did that. He is our advocate. We find that in scripture. 1 John 2.1. For we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. But you know, there, there's a difference. You know how the king responded? Sure, yeah, go write whatever you want. Sign my name to it. Sure, whatever. Did God do that? When Jesus came to God and said, I want these people, I want to save them. They are under a death sentence. Okay, now you probably don't agree with me anymore. You don't believe you're under a death sentence. You don't believe all of humanity is. Let me prove it. Romans 6.23 says this. For the wages of sin is death. It's about eternal death. The, the, The consequence of all sin is eternal death. We're all treacherous and traitors to God, and so the consequence is eternal death. Uh, Hebrews 9.27 says, For it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. All of us live, all of us die, and then all of us will appear before God for judgment. And all of us, me included, have sinned a bunch of times. And so we're under a death sentence. Okay, so Jesus comes and says, don't let them die for their sins. Now how is God going to respond? He can't be like the king and just say, ah, whatever. Just go, go write something and sign my name to it. He is a just God. Someone must pay. There's this penalty. I've sinned and had a death penalty. And so we celebrated that last week. That's why we have Easter. Jesus had to die in order for God to say yes. The only way that God could say yes to Jesus to, when he advocated to deliver us was Jesus had to die. Does that make sense, the logic that someone had to pay and Jesus said, let these people go and I will take their death sentence. And so there was deliverance. And it's true today. If you're here this morning and you're hearing my voice and this has made sense to you, I pray that you have either already placed your faith in Christ or that you do, children included, that you would place your faith in Christ. You would say, Christ, I want you to pay for my sins. I understand that I have bad attitudes, that's, that's true of old guys and little kids, right? And women too, right? I haven't responded. When I don't get treated with respect, I've yelled sometimes. Is that true of you? You need an advocate with the Father. But see, this is what's so great. It doesn't end there. What's the third one? Is exaltation. Many people don't understand that salvation is not just a ticket out of hell. It's also exaltation. You will reign with Christ. 
you will reign with Christ. Because you know those robes that Mordecai got? Eventually, moths ate through them. That signet ring? Hey, King Ashuerus, anyone met him? He's long dead. That ring is worthless. Has no power. Any exaltation was short-lived. It was but for one generation. How long will your exaltation last if you're a believer? Forever. Do you believe that? Forever. You will be exalted higher than Mordecai. And it sounds pretty cool. All those robes, all that money, cool crown on his head. Forever as a believer. That you'll reign with Christ. Scripture says this. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, if, if we endure, we will reign with him. Romans 8.30 says, and those who are predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. All this means he saved you, right? Those he saved, they, he also glorified. God doesn't just want to get you out of hell. He wants to exalt you. So you remember that verse I told you? 1 Peter 5.6 at the very beginning? What did it say? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. I want to share about my week for a second. It stunk. <laughs> there you go. There's the summary. Um, some of you know, I have a lot of stomach pain. I had a long time, long story. I had a terrible week. I tried a new supplement from the doctor and it went terrible. So I was in pain almost all week. Why am I telling you this? Because I was thinking a lot about this verse. Humble yourself, Nathan, under the mighty hand of God, that he may lift you up, what it say? In due time. It's hard. Now, I tell you that, not that you'd have sympathy for me, because all of you have your something. Right? Whether it's arthritis, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your kids, your wayward children, there is something. You are right now thinking of something in your head that is not going well, and you really wish would go away. For me, it's my stomach. You've got something. Maybe you have multiple things, but you at least have one. And so I, I share that with you to say, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may, will lift you up. Now, does it mean that my stomach pain is going to go away? I'm sure hoping this doctor is going to make it go away. Will your thing improve? I'm hoping. But Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, he said, a thorn was given me in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I begged with the Lord. I don't, we don't know what it is, but he's begging God to take this thorn away. But he said to me, God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I might have this the rest of my life. You might have that thing or multiple things the rest of your life. But... God is faithful. He will redeem you and he will exalt you. Now, am I saying that the Christian life is to suffer now and be exalted after death? Well, that's what happened for Jesus, didn't he? He basically was humble. We see this in Philippians 2. We, we preach through that. It says, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So is the Christian life like the life of Jesus? Possibly. Now, many times God does have mercy. The psalmist says in Psalm 27, I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord where? In the land of the living. Kids, that means while he's still alive. He says, I'm confident I'm going to see God's goodness while I'm still alive. He says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take courage. Wait for the Lord. And so I do. And you must too. We must wait for the Lord. He often is merciful in this life, but I absolutely guarantee he will be after death. 
That's what it was for Christ. And it will so overshadow any suffering in this life that you will not get to heaven and feel like, God, this was a bum deal. You made me wait 50 years and now I'm getting to be exalted for like ever, for millions of years, right? It is not a bum deal. But typically, God does answer prayers even in this life as the psalmist was confident. And so I, I want to encourage you as, as we close here that these things, the hard things in your life, sometimes you're going to have Mordecai days where God just comes through and you're exalted right now. It's amazing. Everything comes together. And sometimes you won't. And sometimes it'll be like this, right? And over your lifetime, believers almost all give testimony to say, God has been faithful in this life. But every one of them, even those that are, that are um, executed in the Middle East, who they say, well, it was, I became a Christian and I died like three weeks later. It was kind of short-lived. It was, there wasn't a lot of this. I just became Christian and it was over. And they say, but they, they would give testimony from heaven and say, but God was faithful. God was faithful. Jesus is our advocate. You have an advocate with the Father, even now. He will. He wants to deliver you if you allow him to. And so I leave you with these words from 1 Peter. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. The Lord cares for you, people. And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are more reliable than the stock market. Thank you that financial advisors have been saying that for years, and generally they've been true over a 30-year span or 40-year span. But Lord, for thousands of years, you've been faithful. I pray that you'd convince their hearts of that, that they would place their faith in you, believe you to be who you are. And Lord, that it would help them. It would help them as they have their thing, their thorn in the flesh, their pain and suffering. Lord, I pray that you would give us all endurance, enable us when we are not shown respect, either by our bodies or by our families. Lord, that we would not become angry. We would not demand the respect, but rather we would humble ourselves. And that you would exalt us. You would lift us up. And that we would bring glory to you as Mordecai did. As he waited. And then you did something amazing. Lord, do something amazing in their lives and in our church. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.